0: Ever wonder how Mizzou seems to produce quality defensive linemen and NFL backup quarterbacks? How about why former Mizzou wrestlers want to fight Jake Paul? Or are you curious about why Missouri men's basketball losing a 15-seed Norfolk State in the 2012 NCAA Tournament wasn't all that bad? Well, I can guarantee
1: two of those three. But if you want the best information on Mizzou football, basketball, and everything else MU, listen to the Columbia Daily Tribune's
0: Mizzou Sports Podcast featuring me, Tribune Sports Editor Chris Kwasinski. And me, Tribune Mizzou Athletics beat reporter Eric Blum. We'll discuss all things Tigers, including Joe Exotic. Did he play for Mizzou? No, but we did have a dentist in town grace the cover of ESPN the magazine. In all seriousness, we'll break down every game, press conference, and big move from Columbia. We'll give
1: expert analysis on Missouri and
0: explain how each result matters to every MU fan. We may sprinkle in some takes on other things, too, like how Shakespeare's pizza is a can't-miss Columbia experience, but their pizza is just good. Maybe third best in town.
1: Yeah, that shouldn't offend anybody, but if you want the premier unfiltered direct podcast on Mizzou athletics, subscribe to the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast with new episodes streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms every.
0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me, as always, is the Tribune sports editor, Chris Kwasinski. And I know how to spell his name from memory now. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good. Uh, that, that takes people usually like months to master, so props. You want to put me on the spot? I got it. Uh, uh, if you want to. K-W-I-E-C-I-N-S-K-I. There it is. Yeah i don't know your middle name but i got chris pretty good good too
1: Uh, that that, that comes with time
0: okay good well i i got the first and last which i think is what more so matters uh we are coming to you on thursday september 9th where do you want to start this week's episode chris uh
1: i think the one thing that's on everyone's mind that's kentucky okay what about kentucky the biggest uh, the the biggest position matchup in my opinion because to me it's it's the offensive line against kentucky's front seven and that's uh, when I think back to the Central Michigan game, the one thing that stood out to me was 13 tackles for loss by Central Michigan, and then obviously that we, we did talk about how that's a good team, you know, only a year removed from the MAC championship. But I mean that 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 shouldn't happen. No, it should. Right. And so uh, that that to me is going to be the key. It's whether or not Mizzou can it really just just give Connor Bazelak
0: time to throw the ball. Yeah, dialing it back a couple of steps, uh, Missouri did beat Central Michigan last week, 34-24, 30, so Central Michigan did cover the spread. I don't, I don't think disappointing is the right word to describe Missouri's performance, but underwhelming might be a better word, and that kind of just happens across college football in Week 1, especially, it's really been two years for Missouri since they've played in front of a full stadium in an environment like that, and a lot of these players who are playing together have never done it in that environment before, so the fact that Missouri can correct their mistakes 1 0 as opposed to 0 1 going into what is a really important game in Kentucky. I think it's pretty good for the program. You know, you have to look at just the trends and just, you know, evaluate everything with context. And so, did Missouri absolutely blow the brakes off of their opponent week one? No. Did Kentucky? Yes. But Central Michigan was in the MAC t- title game two years ago. Louisiana Monroe hasn't won a game since before the coronavirus pandemic started. And so, while well, yes, Kentucky probably has more momentum and probably should be the favorite going into this game deservedly. Missouri probably also had the opponent that probably prepared them better for this matchup.
1: Yeah, even with Jim McElwain and his rupturing Achilles, which I I mean... Appendix. (laughs) uh, uh, Appendix. Excuse me. We we, we told the story last week about your appendicitis. We did.
0: Excuse me. I don't know where Achilles came from, but I do appreciate you uh, bringing back my appendix story yeah i think it's timeless and classic and you know as long as the viewers here or the listeners in a sense get to know who you are i i think that you know bringing up memories of all of us and they know more about me and what we can get more to my stories about me another time but now as it relates to kentucky you know did you watch any of that kentucky game last week against louisiana Monroe? you didn't have to i'll give you here's the preview kentucky i think muffs the first punt then Louisiana Monroe scores, and the rest of the game it's 45-3 to Kentucky. That's what you need to know. They basically played an FCS team. Right. Knowing that you saw all of Missouri's game against uh, Central Michigan, how do you think that kind of dichotomy works where you have a blow-through opponent in week one? I mean, and you look Miz- ahead on Missouri's schedule, they have Simo next week. And I'm not trying to diss the Red Hawks wherever they are down there in Cape Girardeau, but I'm thinking Missouri, if they win this week, is going to be 3-0, you know, if they beat them, probably that game for missouri is next week does it benefit you to come all in between two tough road games to have that game there or would you rather have it week one to work everything out and maybe have a false sense of security of how good you are uh, you can make an argument for both but i mean with with
1: kentucky i think it's going to benefit them in, in their situation a little bit more with will levis uh, i mean a guy that uh, transfers from penn state you know is looking for that starting job and is uh, trying to establish himself as a premier starting quarterback in a conference like the SEC, like it helps to build that confidence. But, it, like Drink said after the, after the game, you know he'd rather fix these against a team. It, it, he expected this. He, he said after the game he expected to be in a dogfight with Central Michigan. Which I mean, I, I'm sure most fans would be like, I really wish you wouldn't be in a dogfight with Central Michigan. But it kind of it, it's also an attest to how good Central Michigan was too. But um, it, you can make an argument that you really wish you would come off that big blowout win because it, it shows you. That there's motive that you can you know you can have the momentum you can build that you can go into the second week to where okay we know what we're good at and let's let's go do that and i think you saw it in the first play too i mean uh when uh connor hit uh boo smith for that long gain mean, i thought I, from there i thought okay this is it like th- it's going to be 45 to 10 but no like you, you got to give credit to that, that team and to central michigan to just really rein the momentum back and but also to, to challenge Mizzou. I mean, maybe in the long run that does pay off dividends.
0: So Let's look at just Missouri's recent history here and see how it related to the season. Go back all the way to 2017. Missouri had played Missouri State in their opener. Missouri did score 72 in that game, but you allowed 43 points to an FCS team in that game. Then you get I think it was 31-3 at home to Purdue. You lose. You fire your defensive coordinator and Missouri does not win another game until the end of October. Like. And, yes, the Missouri did go on, like, a six-game win streak to end the season. But but that did – I think playing Missouri State and having that game there didn't help. So it's really – unless you blow them out, there's no reward to that game. And that's what happened the next year when Missouri played UT Martin, my first year here in 2018. Missouri absolutely destroyed them with a senior Drew Lockett quarterback and a healthy Alberto. They just absolutely took it over to UT Martin. Going to 19, playing at Wyoming the first game of the year – and Missouri loses that game. But it really taught them how to play and really gave them offensive, you know, inspiration where they won the next five games after that. And then kind of the bottom fell out and they lost the next six. But we don't have to get into all that now. In twenty twenty, Missouri started the season with the national champion, in Alabama. Now that's not gonna happen usually for Missouri, but you know, looking at how it relates to Missouri's schedule, I'm almost willing to say the quickest and immediate most response to how well you play in week one happened in twenty nineteen when you played Wyoming who's a very similar team to Central Michigan in that way yet I don't think that who you play week one necessarily benefits you long term no matter what so Missouri being 1-0 right now no matter how it happened outside of if you beat like a Clemson really doesn't matter
1: yeah That that's that's agreeable, especially when you talk about starting with a team like Alabama, where that's you're going to get the best of the best right there. And, and what what better way to test the metal, than test your skill and test you know all that? And not to say that people are, are expecting to lose that game, but I mean, most teams that play Alabama lose. So, and there's a reason for that. And uh, and, and to play the and play the FCS card too. I mean. It, I don't want to down talk on the FCS coming from covering an FCS team,
0: especially the the big sky. It, it, which... It's fine. I, I, I covered Towson. I just, I, it's obvious the difference in athletes between the two between the schools. That's you know, not to steal your thunder, and you can go on in a minute. But, yeah, yeah it's not disrespectful to say that Towson ha- or Bradley or whatever has worse athletes. I mean, there's a reason why North Dakota State is so feared is because they can play with the big boys. Really, outside of them and a couple other schools, it is a very clear step down. No, it is. It, and
1: but but that's the thing it, it's that it's more of that focus test because you saw that with with uh Washington this past week a top 25 team that got upset by Montana like well, well what what happened there? You know what what goes on there, and obviously that's not going to happen with with Semo in, in Mizzou just because. But even just drinkwood saying, "Hey, we expected to be in a dog fight with Central Michigan." You know, you're not going to take that lightly. You know, you have to get up on them early, and then you're fine for the rest of the day. Just get
0: out of the game without injuries, and that's a win, but in, in more ways than one. You know, or at least it shouldn't happen, and it's heavily favored not to happen. I mean, preseason rankings are a little dumb, and that's why I don't pay any attention to them until we get to the college football playoff part of the season, and that's why like just it, it really i think i just said it there it really is dumb where you have a team like north carolina who falls and drops completely out of the ap rankings from number 10 in week one and virginia tech who wasn't on the radar of any voter now is in the polls like just usually wait at least until week three or four to start the polls but that's a whole different argument for a different time but now you're let's talk about a little bit more about missouri's offense Did you expect that performance from Tyler Beatty? And just how much did he prove to you with the – I think he had 29 total touches for 240-something yards. How much did that prove to you about what he can do? It proved basically everything. I mean, you talk
1: about – like, you talk about a guy that's been sitting behind – Good running backs on the death chart for the last handful of years, and he finally gets his chance, and he goes for 200 yards, uh, even just on the ground. And, and I know we were looking at the stats, and I just kept seeing them getting adjusted. You know, going from like 195 to 197 to now two, 203, it was nuts. And yeah, he was sad for the game. Yeah, he was tired, but uh, and he, I don't want to say that was downplaying his performance, but you know, you have to give him kudos because they don't win. They maybe they don't win that game if he doesn't play that well, and uh, and you got to also have to look at from an offensive standpoint if he doesn't play that well maybe they don't score 30 points you know maybe mister yeah. doesn't score 30 points and um and obviously a big reason for that was the inability to convert on third down too but but he was the catalyst there and, and i think especially when you go back to that fourth down play where uh, drink was decided to throw instead of running it but it's that I guess that teaching moment where you kind of realize what you have. You know, <laughs> that moment comes again. Beatty's getting the ball, and you know it. I know it. Everybody in the stadium would know it then, right?
0: Yeah, that would have to be. So Missouri got a I guess a clean conversion once on third and fourth down throughout the entire game. They were one for eleven, with the one completion of being to Barrett Bannister on on third down. And Missouri's problem wasn't that they weren't completing passes they were they just weren't throwing it far enough to the sticks i think they went six of seven on passes on third down and just couldn't get them all and then on fourth down the one where they didn't complete it missouri had five wide receivers on the field with a fourth and i think two and it was chance looper in the backfield not taylor baiting not elijah young so i think that that is definitely a point where you need to do better if you're missouri i mean they did go two for three on fourth down during against central michigan but the two completions both came be a pass interference penalties. Like those probably would have been completed passes, but they you didn't your wide receiver didn't catch the ball regardless of that. So that's just not going to cut it against a Kentucky. Uh, and I think that right here's a good time to transition into our beat writer segment of the week with John Hale of the Louisville Courier Journal. He's covered them for over a decade and we'll get right into it. Here's my conversation earlier this week with John Hale. Joining the Mizzou Sports Podcast this time is the Kentucky Athletics beat reporter for the Louisville Courier-Journal, John Hale. How you doing, John? I'm
2: good. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. Just kind of just give us the scoop on this year's Kentucky team. Where do things kind of currently stand?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think there's a fair amount of hype, which is somewhat surprising coming off their first losing season in a while. I do think the the all-SEC season last year Kind of reestablished expectations, maybe also kind of shone a light on, you know, as much progress as Mark Stoops had made. Uh, There was still a pretty big gap between Kentucky and, you know, the legitimate contenders in the the East, whether it's Georgia or Florida or whoever, uh, certainly the top teams in the West. Um, And I think maybe if we had seen a normal season, uh, they would have been eight and four or whatever because they would have played four non-conference games they would have been favored heavily in Um, things would have just kept rolling as normal and you would have not heard any sort of major changes but because of the way the season played out uh, Mark Stoops realized that you can't have a an offense that you know doesn't consistently have any sort of credible passing attack and expect to you know be a legitimate contender in the SEC. And so he went and blew things up after the season. He fired his offensive coordinator, Eddie Grant. He fired his quarterbacks coach, Darren Hinshaw. Went and brought Liam Cohen uh, from the Los Angeles Rams. He was their assistant quarterbacks coach. Uh, hired him as OC here. He used to be the OC at Maine and uh, and has some other FCS coaching experience in the Northeast. But to bring that Sean. Mc bay offense to of college football and so there was all sorts of uh, excitement heading into the offseason about you know, having a, a credible passing attack again they go out and add wanda robinson the transfer wide receiver from nebraska who's a former mr kentucky football actually committed to kentucky in high school flipped to nebraska went and added will levis the tr- uh, transfer from penn state uh, dare rosenthal the transfer from um from LSU on the offensive line. A couple more transfers on defense. Uh, Jacques Jones from Ole Miss, had been a linebacker, to really plug in some holes they had, both from the draft and just normal attrition. And so it, it it was like they didn't have a losing season at all last year based on what you were talking to people before the season. Then you go out in week one and play a terrible Louisiana pro team that did not win a single game last year. But they just were dominant in a way they have not often been in these openers against a group of five teams. They usually struggle in those in the first game and don't look super inspiring and maybe figure it out anyway. But the way they won the game with Levis looking great, the new offense looking great, having 400 passing yards, which is something I think they'd only known one other time in eight years here, has done nothing but just ratchet up the hype to another level. So I think people legitimately around here expect them, you know, I don't think anybody thinks they're going to challenge Georgia, but there's some real thought that they might be able to even push Florida for that second spot. These certainly uh, emerge on top between that, you know, preseason kind of conversation, whether it was going to be Kentucky or Missouri as the, as the third team there. There's legitimate hope for a nine-ten kind of win season.
0: And, and that's kind of the big talking point around Columbia is just how do you temper expectations for this game? Around here, and from my personal just belief, this is Missouri's biggest game of the year. The game against A&M they have can't be a big game if they can't beat Kentucky. Missouri's game against Florida can't be a big game if they can't beat Kentucky. Just how are things around Lexington in terms of how big this individual game is for Kentucky?
2: I think, I think there's a, a lot of, you know, realization of how important it is. Vince Merrow, their recruiting coordinator, who is never shy about, you know, saying uh, headline-worthy things, tweeted out earlier today. It was the biggest game that the program had had since at Florida in 2018, which was the game that they uh, snapped the 31-game losing streak in that series. That's Kind of ludicrous on itself because later in the 2018 season, they played Georgia in a winner-take-all game for the SEC East, so that was clearly a bigger game uh, right now, but I think the point he was trying to make is you know they need fans to come out this weekend, they need them to pack the house, they need them to, to help a lot because they realize that if, if, you, if you want to have a 9-1 season, if you want to have a 10-1 season, if you want to contend in the East, you have to be that team that emerges from this jumbled mess of the bottom half of the SEC East with Kentucky and Missouri and Tennessee and South Carolina and Vander belt like you have to be the team that separates itself from that pack to have a chance to even push Florida and Georgia uh, and so I think there's a, a real recognition of a that part of it being really important and b there's a lot of still uh, I don't know if hurt feelings is not the correct term but disappointment embarrassment from the way the Kentucky Missouri game went down last year Kentucky thought that they had kind of passed Missouri and then they went out and just laid an egg in that game and played their worst performance of the season, uh, got out physical, which is something that has not happened to this team very often in the last you know, three or four years. Uh, it was clear yesterday at his press conference that Mark Stoops still upset about it. The players, uh, as soon as we talk to them as the week goes on, are still upset about it. So I think that's the other part that really increases the, the importance of this game in particular.
0: Yeah, this game has been close. It's really been who among the Missouri and Kentucky have been the better team in the SEC. It's the winner of this matchup is most of the time determined. That I know that's an obvious statement to make, but it really is one that reigns true. And I know Kentucky had a five-year winning streak, uh, you know that ended last year. Missouri won. I believe they played in uh, 12, 13, 14 where all Missouri wins. 15 to 19 were Kentucky wins, and then last year Missouri broke the streak. So just. What do you think that, you know, just – and you mentioned a little bit there, but Kentucky's overall view of how they view Missouri as a program, a lot of people might think Kentucky's kind of a basketball school, but just where do kind of things lie in Kentucky's landscape when it comes to Missouri?
2: I think there's, you know, a, a mutual respect. I mean, there's certainly a mutual respect between the two coaching staffs. I mean, Mark Stoops has nothing but positive things to say about wits and, and the new staff there at Missouri. He was you know high on, on the previous staff there, too. Uh, and, and I think there's probably a recognition that even when they won the five games in a row, not many of those games were like blowouts by any means. They probably stole the one at Missouri with the CJ Conrad catching on the last play that <laughs> I know Missouri yeah. fans still think was was pass interference. And so there's there's some acknowledgement that maybe they got lucky in, in one or two of those games too. So there's, I don't think there were. In in a way, Kentucky fans are convinced they've like passed South Carolina as a as a program. There, there's a lot of frustration usually in the preseason when it seems like South Carolina is that trendy pick every year before this year uh, to come out of that mess in the East, and, and Kentucky fans just didn't understand why. All these national media people were picking south carolina over them when they had you know kind of dominated that series on the field recently i don't think that's the case with missouri even though they had won five in a row uh, and i think kentucky fans would have certainly slotted kentucky ahead of missouri in the pecking order but they would have acknowledged that that's that was at least pretty close the way they lost that game last year was just so uncharacteristic of the way they play i mean mark Stoops said it yesterday he, he thought that you know the Drinkowitz in Missouri, they were better prepared for the game, and that's not something that he admits, you know, very easily, and Kentucky fans aren't used to seeing. I mean, even when they've lost in this stretch of five straight bowl games, they've had this physical, hard-nosed identity and, and been able to at least do that. But, I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. And that was the first game that John Schlarman, their beloved offensive line coach, uh, had to step away from the team as the, the treatments from his cancer uh, or the side effects from his cancer treatments really started to mount. That was the first game he missed in two years. He ended up you know, passing away a couple of weeks later. Uh, that, I think, it took a, an emotional toll. But you know, just otherwise, with all the weird COVID stuff, they just didn't show up ready to play that day. And, and I think that that it is embarrassing for them as much as anything, which really, like I said, ups the, the ante this weekend.
0: Just talking now about personnel, what has changed from last year to this year um, on the field-wise for Kentucky? It seems like the big pieces that left got drafted, and everybody who came back, like a lot of the rest of college football, has a lot of veteran experience.
2: Yeah, it's, it's uh, if we're talking about the draft in particular, I mean, you lose Jamin Davis, their middle linebacker, who ended up being a first round pick. He went from uh, back backup a year ago that nobody was projected to even start. And then Chris Oates, who was the guy ahead of him on the depth chart, had a medical emergency, had a stroke, uh, is, you know, is still learning how to walk again, let, let alone play football but Davis was his backup and going into camp and then he goes from there to first round draft pick in a year and generally in the history of Kentucky football you don't just easily replace first round draft pick at middle linebacker second round draft pick at cornerback and Kelvin Joseph uh, three more draft picks uh, later in the draft and, and just fill those holes but they've gotten to a point where they've recruited well enough that a lot of the guys who have you know filled in those holes this year were actually higher ranked recruits than the guys they're replacing obviously that's not the same thing as you know College production, proven quantities out there, but they're really high on those on the talent and on defense in particular. Uh, they've got ten seniors uh, that play either our starting roles or in like the primary rotation. So that's it's a really veteran group. The extra year of eligibility helped with some of that. They've really gone heavy into the transfer portal to fill holes. Has been a big plus. Uh, so that part of it defensively, they're pretty similar personnel wise, just new faces, but guys who have played a lot. Uh, for instance, Kelvin Joseph, their cornerback their who got drafted by the Cowboys, the guy who replaced him, Cedric Dort, was actually the full-time starter in 2019. He just lost his job to Joseph when he transferred here from LSU, so he's a guy who's played a ton. Uh, middle linebacker, they didn't have anybody to replace Jamin Davis, because the guy who was supposed to replace him towards ACL or got a, had a leg injury of some kind in spring practice and now for the year, well, then they went and added West Jones from Ole Miss in the transfer border to fill that hole, and they've got a four-star freshman in, in Trevor Wallace. That they're really high on in, in terms of a developmental project. The, the big difference is personnel-wise, though, and scheme-wise, it's all in offense. I mean, it's it's a completely different offense than what Kentucky has built their success around with Benny Snell and that offensive line and even Lynn Bowden a couple of years ago in that power run game. Liam Cohen's offense, it's built around the play-action, but to have the play-action work, you have to be a legitimate threat to both run and pass the ball and so in week one at least against Louisiana they lived up to that hype and so they're going to throw it a lot more we'll levis the Quarterback who transferred from Penn State won the job a week the camp after he got on campus. He's got a rocket arm. Um, he's got a really nice touch on the deep ball, which we saw over the weekend. Maybe his touch and accuracy on the intermediate and short passes is not quite as good, uh, but he at least made most of those throws. He was used primarily as a running quarterback at Penn State, but he wanted to go to a school that trusted his arm strength, and that's what he found in Kentucky, and we'll see how that plays out long term. But one week at least, it looks great wide receiver is still a huge question mark for them because they just didn't throw the ball any of the last three years and so none of those guys really developed but they went and added Wanda Robinson in the transfer portal from Nebraska who's uh, this kind of elite talent who was a Paul Horning award finalist two years ago as a freshman. They got Josh Ali their leading receiver back uh, for the extra year of eligibility but beyond those two guys it's, it's a lot of question marks right now.
0: So where would you say Kentucky's biggest strengths are and weaknesses are heading to the Missouri game?
2: I mean, I think strength is still um, because of the way just the roster was built the last four or five years is on the offensive line uh, and in the running in the running back room um, on the line they lost uh, an NFL draft pick, and Landon Young at left tackle, uh, Drake Jackson, the All-SEC center who was a four-year starter and signed a free agent deal. Lost both those guys and just kind of plugged them in with. Uh, Deir Rosenthal, who's a former four star recruit, top uh, 100 kind of guy from LSU, as a transfer at left tackle. They still have Darian Kennard at right tackle, who's a preseason All American. Uh, they got Luke Fortner, who was their right guard a year ago, back for his sixth year of eligibility. He moved over to center. Uh, and now they've got two, you know, you know, younger guards, but guys with a lot of experience that they're really excited about. So the line has a lot of talent and a lot of depth there. And in the running back room, Chris Rodriguez. For my money, he's probably one of the more underrated players in the SEC. He's averaged six yards a carry in his career. He actually you know, has played a huge role the last two years, but he made his first career start on Saturday um, with, you know, his normal self. I'm not 100% convinced that the run game is going to be quite as successful as it has been. Just because the way they block now and they've gone from kind of an inside zone team to an outside zone running team, that's different. It's going to take some time to learn and and master that. But they should be able to run the ball and get those difficult yards and, and play behind that offensive line. That's going to be their strength in terms of weaknesses probably just what i mentioned in, in the receivers that's a huge question mark still um the offense is built in a way to get your playmakers the ball to be able to move them around the field and scheme in a way to get them open that worked against louisiana moreau but does it work against legitimate sec teams when they know that you only have two guys you're consistently throwing into does that become an issue uh, i don't know i think we'll find out moving on and then uh, on defense, the pass rush was a was a weakness a year ago. They were like 113th in the country in sacks per game. Well, in week one against maybe the worst team in college football, uh, they had 14 tackles for loss and six sacks. Is that a, is that a sign that they fixed that in the offseason, or is that just a, a product of who they were playing? I think the jury's still out.
0: Yeah, Missouri had nine sacks, their most as a team since 2000 and, I believe, Uh, nine actually uh, in a single game and they played Central Michigan who's no slouch they were in the Maxwell game two years ago but I think the jury's out a little bit for both teams when it comes to that Uh, going back to last week how was the crowd how are things at Kroger Field when it comes to COVID and what do you expect this weekend when it comes to that that part of it
3: yeah
2: yeah, the crowd. I, th- I think it was probably pretty normal what you would expect for an opener against a uh, you know, not very good group of five team. Uh, they uh, they announced uh, just over forty thousand. That was probably fairly accurate. I mean, there were a bunch of empty seats, but they they usually just announce tickets distributed, not actual attendance. So it gets a little confusing there. But I don't I don't think it was like an egregious overstatement by any means. A crowd. They're really putting out the. PR blitz this week to try and sell more tickets, which tells me that they maybe the ticket number is not great. You know, I'm I'm a person who's not convinced that as the pandemic goes on and the covid numbers, you know, soar across the country that people are really eager to go sit in the in a college football stadium with 60,000 people obviously there are plenty of people who will do that but i don't know that they're going to sell out any games this year um so i'm i'm interested to see what the crowd looks like this weekend i assume it'll be more than last week i would be surprised if it's close to a sellout. 61,000 is the listed capacity now. I think 55 might be their kind of uh, max. And in terms of COVID stuff, uh, Kentucky decided to basically just um, let you do what you want to do. I think in the stands, there's no sort of you know social distancing or any of that anymore. Uh, the university has a masking requirement for all indoor spaces. So technically, if you're in uh, in a suite or in the bathroom or whatever you're supposed to have a mask on but there's nobody standing there you know policing that they've admitted that they're not going to be asking people uh technically if you're not vaccinated you're supposed to wear a mask at all times but nobody's asking for proof of vaccination so there's no way to you know, enforce that by any means it's just basically kind of assessing your own individual you know what you're comfortable with in terms of risk and then figuring out if you're okay sitting in a stadium with a bunch of people outside that you don't know
0: yeah basically the exact same thing at missouri uh how do you think this game ends up this weekend i think the spread is right now at five do you have a final score prediction or what do you think that you know this game will look like
2: I'd, I think I'll pick Kentucky just because of the, the motivation they have based on last year, the way they looked in, in week one. I think that they were able to probably hide, hold some things back on offense because of the opponent in terms of wrinkles and uh, some something like, for instance, Will Levis, who was a running quarterback at Penn State, he, had, he didn't have one designed quarterback run in the first game. Is that not going to be part of the offense, or are they just holding that back so, you know, better opponents don't see it on film? I'm interested to see how much of that you know gets unveiled this weekend, against Missouri and I know Missouri wasn't super impressive in their opener against Central Michigan but I've seen plenty of Kentucky teams struggle in their first game against a group of five opponents and it turned out to be fine actually in 2018 Kentucky also played Central Michigan in their first game they were losing just before halftime and ended up having their best season in 40 years in program history so I I don't think that necessarily plays into my thinking but I saw enough from Kentucky's offense to think they're going to be a legitimate passing threat with the running game that they already have that we know they can do. Uh, I think it's going to be a difficult thing to stop. Five points seems about right to me in terms of the spread. I haven't really thought about a final score yet, but I'll I'll probably pick Kentucky by a touchdown somewhere around there.
0: Gotcha. Uh, And before you head off with us, John, where can everybody find you online and read the opponent's perspective this week from the USA Today Network?
2: Yeah, it's at John Hale, J-O-N-H-A-L-E underscore C-J on Twitter and Courier-Journal.com.
0: All right, that was John Hale from the Courier Journal in Louisville. Give him a follow on Twitter and we'll definitely be tag teaming a lot of coverage this week. So thanks, John, for spending some time with us on the podcast today.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: We would like to thank our
1: sponsors for the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri HealthCare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create the perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, Zalots and more than a dozen mild to wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Follow Mizzou Football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at Columbiatribune.com/slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday.
4: So, John, question. With Auburn firing Gus Malzahn, it leaves Ed Ogeron as the SEC's only coach who has beaten Nick Saban. Who's going to be the next SEC coach to beat Saban?
3: Well, I don't think he'll be the guy that a lot of people think he will be, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. I like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. He almost beat Saban last year, and he almost beat Saban when he was at Tennessee.
4: Fisher promised he was going to thump Saban's rump whenever Alabama comes to College Station. I think he's got a shot. He improved Texas A&M to 9-1 and last year. He's got a national champion to his name. If Haynes King is the real
3: deal, he's got an early opportunity in October to beat Nick Saban. Look at Saban's track record for losses. It's usually to a great quarterback. Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, or Joe Burrow. Matt Carell at Ole Miss I think could be the best quarterback in the league. I'm Blake Topmeyer
4: and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports Columnist John Adams Let's just say he's got A few decades on me
3: Not as many decades As some people think Contrary to popular opinion I did not cover General Nealon, but I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning.
4: More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Got to go with Steve Spurrier there.
3: He's the great quipster.
4: SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts.
0: great to always work with our USA Today Network brethren. I've had John on I think at least three or four times. We've had him on basketball wise and at least each of the past three football seasons. So definitely great to speak with John and I'll be seeing him on Saturday. I'm back with Chris Kwasinski. I am Eric Blum. Where do you want to start the second half of the show? let's go with the third
1: down conversions okay. i think that's that's obviously the most telling stat if you you know go back on paper and just kind of just peek at everything and uh i think yesterday uh, kiki chisholm said it best you know you're not going to beat sec teams if you're only converting you know one of 11 on third downs
0: yeah no that that's just not going to happen it's not you know it, it's it's weird to look at how universally i guess just panned that is just the worst thing Missouri did on Saturday it's very obvious not like Missouri played a bad game they didn't play great either but it's very easy to point at okay if Missouri doesn't do this and and we thought there'd be more questions when it came to that but no it's very clear if Missouri can't gets off the field on offense on third down and cannot do that they're not going to win against Kentucky that's just I know that sounds incredibly simple and like teaching like basic fundamentals of football you need to convert third downs Yet, sometimes it's that easy. And Missouri didn't do that well against Central Michigan. Yeah,
1: I think it's an easy premise, like you mentioned. Yeah, it's simple, but to get there, it's a little bit more... Uh, I guess convoluted is a good way to put it, because there's so many avenues that you can take to get there, and I kind of detailed this in uh, in my story today about how you know how the receivers can help out Connor Bazelak and the offense, especially when it comes to converting third downs. And, and, and quite simply, it's not just, you know, oh, catch the ball on third down, but it, it's also set yourself up on second down too because when you talk to that that third down conversion in the third quarter the first one of the of the game for mizzou that was set up by a six yard pass on second and nine so then now it's third and three third and manageable as opposed to you know third and eight and third nine and i think uh i can't remember how many third and longs i I guess third and eight and beyond that not many not many yeah but but uh, but i mean like they it was one of those things where you just put yourself in a better position to To convert those third downs and you do that with you know third and third and short third and manageable it's opens the playbook especially with a player like Tyler Tyler Beatty in the background or backfield
0: yeah and it'll be interesting to see because I mean coming off the field uh, for Tuesday's practice it was pretty obvious how for lack of a better word pissed Drinkwitz was and then he had the comment on the SEC conference call about like we're not ready to play Kentucky and I think that is truthful and also coach speak at the same time like drink in the past has said these things in the media and his players have responded like, you know, if you remember back to the Missouri's first day of fall practice, he was like, we were sluggish today. That was not a good day. And then he'd never said anything like that again, the rest of fall camp. Like his players are clearly listening to him both internally and externally in terms of what he thinks of how they're playing. I mean, a lot of teams don't have that kind of synergy or maybe he, sends the radio hits to them i don't know what, exactly what he does and i probably never will but whatever it's going on internally it's working and that's part of the reason why i think this is such a big game for missouri coming up against kentucky is that this is just the biggest measuring stick possible for how far missouri has come under eli drinkwitz
1: yeah especially when it comes to in terms of being high or a higher seed in the sec west isn't it? or it's I mean it's one of those things where you look at it and if you want to, to to be that team, if you want to be a higher uh, top of the standings team in the SEC, like this is where you prove it. This is where you where you prove you have the medal to do it. This is where you prove that in the second year that you're understanding the concepts, you're understanding the offense, you're understanding the defense, and those concepts are taking a step forward, especially against a Kentucky team which which is really similar to you. And not not in the coaching way, obviously. Stoops has been there for so long, but I mean, it, this is a team that if you want to be there, you have to beat this team. And you talk about. Winning the games you have to, which is Kentucky against you know winning the games that, you know that you need, which in the next step would be beating the games like you know, Georgia to to win an SEC championship. But this this is that rung, this is that ladder you climb. And if you are Drinkwitz, you, you you want your players to be focused in obviously
0: on this next step of creating your program. Yeah, I agree. And, and it's one thing that you said there that um, needs correcting. That Missouri is in the SEC East, believe West. it or not. East East. Okay. And I know Missouri is the third most. I guess technically, maybe they might be fourth in terms of straight geography. They're the LSU is Baton Rouge is more to the west, Fayetteville is more to the west college stations more to the west and then i think it's columbia the mississippi schools are both the east because you gotta go down to memphis and down right so but mrs but excuse me missouri is still in the SC east believe it or not which shows you just how the divisions in college football <laughs> never make any sense and they never have uh, i'm still learning too, so that that's on me. it's okay it's a most i'd say honestly if you ask a random missouri fan on the street they probably don't know the answer to that or most of them don't know the answer to that but that's but that's okay because now going forward You know, Yes, and I agree with a lot of what Chris said. It's just you need to—this is the rung, and I think that that's why I've said in the past, and I still—Drink was kind of downplayed it a little bit more than I did, but he really—you know, I really do think this is Missouri's most important game of the year in terms of gauging their growth. And it's not like this is program-changing if they lose, but it's expectations-changing for sure. If Missouri does not win this game, the game against A&M, unless they go on a run of, like, beating everybody— it's gonna take serious, serious ground to make it up to make the game against Florida mean more and the game against A and M mean more and Georgia mean more.
1: Especially since if you can't if you can't beat Kentucky, then how can you go out on a limb and say, Oh, we, we can beat AM, we can beat Georgia, we can beat Florida. I mean it's just especially after watching Georgia's defense against Clemson. I mean that, that was, was insane. I mean, I DJ was is a, a great player. The fact that they made him look not like that is absolutely phenomenal i mean that might be the best defense that we've seen or we will see this entire year especially when when the two put mizzou and georgia play later this year
0: yeah that this might be outdated for a lot of you but remember the football game temco bowl yeah like literally watching georgia was like that it's like there are certain defensive plays you can run against certain running plays or passing plays to where you blitz so many guys that you did not have time to release it, release the ball that was like temco ball in in real life like they knew almost like what they were running like Georgia's entire front seven might be drafted next year. Like they're that good. That was an NFL defense we saw.
1: I mean, they're in, uh, watching the Notre Dame game against Florida State too. Later, that there is a there's a transfer from Georgia that played on Florida State's defensive line, who looked like he'd been playing for years. He, he he was phenomenal. So it just speaks to the defensive talent that's on that roster right now. But this all this all goes to say that you know if you can't if you can't beat Kentucky if you if your offense can't convert on a Kentucky then then you, you should not expect to convert on a Georgia. No, not, not at all. All right, where do you see this game ending up this week? See, it, it's difficult because when I started looking at the explosive players that Kentucky has and, and the defense, too, it, it really it, – it, if, if you played Kentucky week one, we a lot of the problems that we saw within the tackling, a lot of the uh, inconsistencies on the offensive line, would that would have – it would not have been a good time and it really depends if Drinkwitz can get that corrected in, in such a short amount of time and uh, I know originally I, I know I predicted uh, that Mizzou was gonna beat Kentucky but now I still think it's gonna be a close game it's gonna be one score game I could see Mizzou uh, really bringing it to about you know maybe 31 24 is the final with one last drive for Bazelak and the offense
0: yeah, I feel more confident saying that this game will be decided within a touchdown than who wins it. And, you know, before the season, I did predict Missouri 27-24. Um, I think Missouri with the spread is a solid pick here because I think it'll be about a touchdown for Kentucky once more of the money comes in on game day. It is easy to pick Kentucky here. And so while I'm covering the game and I feel like I shouldn't pick anything, I can see I can see a valuable route to – or excuse me, a viable route to kentucky winning and to missouri winning it would not surprise me at all if kentucky comes out and lays it back it would also not surprise me at all if kentucky comes out and unveils so much more than we've seen from them like they basically knew that louisiana monroe was trash because they are and they held back so much from that game and still scored 45 points on them like if either team gets above 30 points that's a massive score with how this game is going to go like there probably won't be more than 50 combined points. That's just not how these two teams play each other usually. This is going to be a grinded-out type of game and favors the home team usually. Missouri only scored seven points last time they were in Lexington on Tyler Beatty, scoring a screen pass for a touchdown. And so there, were a lot, there was a lot of other things going on with Missouri at that time, but this is going to be a, a buckle-up close game. It's not like things get easier here. That's next week when they play Semo. Let's be real that – That should happen against Timo. Missouri gets their breath there before getting back into SEC play. This is not the week where it happens. This is the first SEC game of the year, the only one this week. And Missouri has a chance to either go top of the conference or bottom here, no matter what.
1: And I gotta say, if there's one avenue to to you talk about that defense to whoever scores 30, that's a massive victory, and a big reason for that is going to be Blaze Aldridge, and that's this is not to say insane or improbable or impossible that he got three and a half sacks against Central Michigan. Look, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect him to come out and and not only that, but 10 tackles and six tackles for loss. I mean, he clearly
0: showed that. Okay, if no one else is going to do it, he's going to do it himself. You know. No, I, I agree with that completely. I mean, Blaze Aldridge, I think, had 10 tackles. He had six six tackles for loss, which has got to be a record in a, in a Missouri debut, maybe not overall. I remember, I think, two years ago, Cale Garrett had nine and a half tackles for loss against Wyoming in that game, and, and a Missouri loss, no less. But And then he did have three and a half sacks, and Missouri as a team had nine against, yeah, Central Michigan. So it was just a just a high and low game. There's no real rate to truly rate it until you look back on how Missouri played. So that's why I think. Any cause for optimism, it's too early. And but any cause for concern, it's also too early. So we'll see how Missouri goes from here. But one thing I wanted to also ask you about before we go on this episode is, you had your first Butch's experience the other day. I did. How was it? Oh, I, I I'm not
1: gonna lie. It was one of those things where, you, you've been hyping this up ever since I mm-hmm. since I got here. Uh, the first place we were gonna go uh, was Bouches when I first got into town, but uh, they're they're closed on Sundays. Uh, I was closed on Sundays, which is a bummer. Uh, especially no, now knowing what Booch's is But um, but It I was one of those things where I sat back and go, like, You know what, this is a Columbia experience I have to let the experience take me And see where the ride goes And that first bite I was like, this is going to be a fun ride There's And I'm confident In saying that that is probably one of the best If not the best thing that I've had so far
0: Yeah, I, I, I can see that And I remember the look on your face because we did go together When I said, alright, four cheeseburgers You're like, four? I'm like they're like slider patties, so you two is essentially one. But uh, yeah, I was really happy to see that you really enjoyed that because it is one of the better places in Colombia. Definitely got to check it out if you've never been there. Anything else you want to talk about before we get off this week?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's a somber week. I mean, this game's played on 9 11, um, and it's it's it's. 20 years since that's happened and, and to me it was one of those things where we were talking about the stories that we're putting in the paper and someone mentioned it's the 20 anniversary 20 year anniversary
0: and it just makes you stop and think that it's really been 20 years yeah it's crazy and, and as one of the stories that was written for this week's tiger extras i wrote the centerpiece on barrett banister um and we thought about writing this story maybe for when missouri plays arkansas coming down the road but why sit on this when the only at the time Mizzou football the 9/11 connection I knew about was his uncle coached at Air Force during 9/11 and he's back at Air Force now. And then through kind of my research, I found another one, which was Mike Mietti's dad was a cop in West Orange, New Jersey during you know 9/11. I don't think he's with the force anymore. I think he's a retired cop based off of Barrett something Barrett said to me. But you know, just seeing that how this just affects everyone, like the oldest players on Mizzou football don't remember the day of 9-11 now like every kid our age i think just has a photographic memory of that day i think you would have been in second grade you're two years younger than me i was in fourth and so just that day just as in i mean you were in chicago so maybe you didn't affect you like it did us on the east coast like my elementary school in germantown maryland cedar grove elementary go bears uh was about 35 miles from the pentagon so like that that side of D.C. we ne- we didn't see smoke or anything like that. I didn't really ever feel in danger that day, but everything just hits close to home. And you know, just telling that story and reliving a lot of those things is just this. This happens, I guess, every year around this time. Somehow this year it just feels a little different. I don't know why. Maybe because it is the 20th. Maybe because of everything that's going on in the country. I don't, I don't know. But this year it feels like you really need a college football Saturday on that 9-11 for whatever reason
1: no yeah uh, I mean when you 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 mentioned just being a kid in that in that moment I mean I, I remember it, like you mentioned like there's not much I remember from second grade there really isn't that much that I remember but that exact moment that day everything is still in my seared in my brain where to where you look back and go I mean people come in and tell you what's happening and as a kid I sit down like well what does that mean and I had no idea what that meant until you go home and then you kind of just see the shock on my, my parents' face and being like, okay, this is serious. This is this is something that this is beyond my comprehension right now. Um, and, and I think one of the most amazing things is, especially when you bring up the Bannister story that you wrote, which is phenomenal. Please, hit peace, everybody should go check it out. Thank you. Um, and is that there's still stories that, that pop up. People have their, people that are alive, people that that talk about it, talk about it with other people even if you were like a player now where you weren't alive during 9-11 you still ask people about it you still get those stories and stories still come out to this day stuff things that i've never seen before yeah which is it just yeah it speaks to the just the, the cultural just shift of how historic that day was
0: so not to give a shout out to a mutual friend of ours uh who i'm pretty sure is listening to this but uh, madeline carter who is a, one of the freelance tri- photographers of the tri- tribune we were talking with another co-worker of ours and she's like yeah there was a difference flying before 911 oh yeah like she that like there's like a lot of the kids who are going into the workforce now just don't know that difference of just how different it was to fly before September 11 2001 and after like i have a very clear memory of how easy it was to get through security before then and how now you have to get to the airport 2 hours before your flight like that didn't exist like 20 years ago so let's talk about something else football before we get off this episode <laughs> one other game besides Missouri Kentucky that you really want to watch this week
1: Ooh, that's a good one iowa iowa state i love the seahawk rivalry especially because i know that it, it's going to end in a dumb way it's going to either end in overtime or uh, i think it was either last year or the year oh, it was the year before because they didn't play last year where iowa state was going to have a chance to go win it at the end and they muffed a pun and Iowa recovered and, and ran out the clock like it's some something stupid is going to happen in that game something just bizarre and funny which is going to be on sports center for the entire weekend that's
0: why you should watch it. Yeah, I got a weird one. Mine is going to be Vanderbilt versus Colorado State, just to see how far the Commodores have fallen. Like, we haven't talked about this yet, but Vanderbilt lost at home 23-3 to to East Tennessee State, which is an average FCS program to start the Clark Lee era. I really want to watch this train wreck. Like, Colorado State's not that great, and they're in the group of five. They're a step up from the team you just lost to from the FCS at – by 20 at home like I really want to see if that was a fluke or if like Vanderbilt's gonna go 0-12 and and, like nothing you know just Clarkley taking over they keep described it as a marathon but like you put up three points against an fcs team like this is going to take a while to rebuild in nashville
1: not not to mention steve steve Dazio and colorado state they they lost to a really good south dakota state team and that's also an fcs team granted that that was the national. that's Nash- a little different that's a that was a national championship runner-up of course but they're not
0: in a great place either no they're not <laughs> so if you want to watch an absolute train wrecker maybe the two you know you know, horrible teams make a great match together. Sometimes that happens in football. And it's not like these are bad athletes who are playing. Like These are still really great athletes. It's just compared to the rest, they just, their teams just aren't that great. No. So I guess that'll be what I'm watching. Uh, but I will be making the trip to Lexington, leaving tomorrow morning. And, yeah, this it'll be a, a fun weekend for Missouri for sure. Definitely had fun the last time I was in Lexington and happy to go back. It's been – I think it was uh, Missouri – uh played the basketball opener there two years ago maybe that's one thing we could touch on before we go uh, and i don't think i've been to lexington since january of 2000 or 2020 that is have you ever been to lexington i have driven through lexington i do know kentucky especially in that area is a phenomenal place yeah it's, it's a gr- it's a great place and and so i guess that jog of memory is one last thing we can talk about is missouri men's basketball released their conference uh slate today uh they do open again at kentucky uh, to start conference play I think believe December 29th home opener is against Mississippi State uh, but and then senior day is at home against Georgia in March and then the SEC tournament this year is not in Nashville it's in Tampa yeah it's some deal I mean they've signed a deal on basically for the last 10 years in Nashville one year in Tampa and then like the next 20 are all in Nashville it's oh, crazy uh, i mean Tampa is a fun place if you've
1: been I've, been I've been to Tampa once and they're, well yeah I take that back. It was St. Petersburg. It was beautiful. It was it was in February, so it was like 80 degrees outside, and I was wearing shorts. Okay.
0: So it was great, but that's that's a very weird one-year hiatus. Yeah, it, it is a weird one. I don't know if it's a deal just to try and court more Florida schools or whatever it is, but that's definitely not essentially located. Because there was, there was one year, a couple years ago, the SC tournament was in St. Louis, which Missouri lost in the first round to Georgia that year, but and then lost in Nashville in the NCAA tournament to Florida State. But... Who's counting? And that was actually only three years ago. But yeah, so that did happen. And there's, of course, plenty more articles online you can read at ColumbiaTribune.com. But for Chris Krasinski, I'm Eric Blum. Thank you for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast, and we'll see you next week.